We're gonna to continue today in our series, um, the Revive to Life Discipleship Track. Here's the pattern, is every week I'm writing a chapter to build out a 12-week discipleship track for us to use in an ongoing way. I'm gonna preach on the topic every Sunday. We're making that chapter available via our website. You can text, you can opt in to a text feature to receive the content every week. And then we're also encouraging you to consider getting involved in a small group. We believe this content is, is best received and applied to our lives in the context of community and, and especially in small groups. Every week is a unique uh, topic and chapter, so every week is a unique opportunity for you to jump in to a group. It's, a, it's kind of a neat opportunity that we have this year. In some years, the curriculum is kind of like building and, and you kind of have missed, if you've missed out on a few of the weeks, it would be hard for you to jump in. Not so this semester. And so I wanna encourage you to continue to check that out. Make time in your life for that. There's information in the seat back in front of you. You can check out the website or the text feature to receive some additional information, including the specifics, the addresses and locations of those groups. And so I'm really excited about today's message. And I wanna encourage you that I believe that second to making Jesus the Lord of your life, that this decision and determination is perhaps the most critical to the ongoing long-term ability of God to bless you and your life of faith. And I understand that that's a powerful statement, but I believe it to be true. I've experienced it personally, and I've seen it bear out in the lives of, of countless people that I've had the privilege and honor of serving as a pastor over the years. And Matthew chapter 16 is the text from which we'll unpack this powerful truth today. But before we get into God's word, let's do like we always do. Let's invite and honor the Lord and let's ask him to speak to us corporately and individually. And I'm gonna pray over us corporately, but right where you are, would you pray and invite the Lord to speak to you, your life, your heart, your opportunities and obstacles maybe that you're going through, as much as I care for you as a person, as a brother in Christ, as a sister in Christ, your heavenly father cares even more. He sees the challenges, he knows the struggles, and he also knows the, the promises and the future that he has for you that are good. And he knows that there's an enemy who's opposing you and, and, and looking to hinder and keep you from experiencing and enjoying the fullness of what God has for you. So allow me to pray over us and would you pray over, over your life of faith and ask God to speak to you today. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, we thank you. We do not take for granted the opportunity to be gathered together as the people of God in the house of God and to open this Bible, which is filled with your promises from your heart. I pray, God, that you would use an imperfect preacher, an imperfect message that I prepared and developed, Lord, to, to express, to communicate, to remind us or reveal to us the perfect heart of a good father. Lord, I pray that today anyone who is weak or weary or wounded, struggling, hurting in any area of life, God, relationally, spiritually, emotionally, God, in marriage and family and whatever it is, God, in their, in their heart posture and condition toward you, God, would you come and would you bring healing? Would you bring comfort? Would you bring strength? Would you bring fresh faith, Lord, renewed faith, courage and strength, God, for the future that every person, every family, every marriage has in you? In Jesus' mighty name, and come on, if you'll receive any or all of that for yourself, say amen. All right, Matthew chapter 16, we pick up in verse 13. And Jesus is, is uh, spending time with his disciples as they are approaching Passover. Jesus is preparing to give his life on the cross, and this is during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's where we pick up verse 13 of chapter 16, the book of Matthew. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, 
and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So here, here's what we find is that even as Jesus was fulfilling his earthly ministry, the opinions about who he was were already numerous, and it remains the same today. And as we read on, Jesus asks the question that continues to reverberate through all of history. And it's the question that each of us is presented with. And it's the most important question that you'll ever give an answer to. And, and I understand there's a lot of important questions in life, and I understand what I just said. This is the singular most important question you'll ever give an answer to. Life and death is at stake with the answer that you give to this question. If your spouse this morning asked you how to look in this outfit, life or death might have been hinged on that answer to that question as well. But I'm telling you, this, this question, this singular question, the most important question you'll ever answer in your life, and here's the question. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? In a culture that has a lot of opinions about who I am, what, what, what is your answer? What is your perspective? What is your determination about who I am to you? The answer you give to this question determines your eternal destination. And allow me, if you will, to make the most significant understatement of all understatements. Eternity is a long time. And you wanna spend it with Jesus. And you know, in, in the modern day church, there's been a movement to kind of minimize, marginalize, or even remove mention of the, the concept of hell and Satan from our messages, from our pulpits, from our efforts to reach people and bring them into our church. And I personally do not believe that we've done anyone any favors. We might help some people in a temporal sense with this temporal life when we bring them into the community of faith, but if we do not underline the significance and the importance and the width and breadth of eternity, we do not do them any favors. I'm grateful for what Jesus has done, was doing in our lives in this day and this hour, and there's a life that we're gonna even talk, talk about today that God has called you and I to as believers. But come on, who's grateful that through the cross of Jesus Christ, you'll spend all of eternity with your Lord and Savior in the presence of the Father, worshiping and praising and declaring him with your family, with those who have gone before you, with the saints that maybe, the saints of old that you didn't have the opportunity to meet, come on, it's gonna be a joyous occasion when we are all gathered together around the throne of Jesus Christ. So, so there's, there is a significance to the answer that we give to this most important question that affects eternity, and that's very significant. The answer that we give to this question also affects God's ability to bless us in this life of faith on this side of eternity. And I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 26, We'll jump back to Matthew 16 here in a moment, but I wanna use Matthew chapter 26 to underline the significance of how we answer this question as it relates to God's ability to bless us on this side of eternity. And so here, here's what it says, Matthew 26. It says, when it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And verse 22, greatly distressed, each of them asked in turn, Am I the one Lord? And he replied, one of you who was just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the son of man must die as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. And Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And watch what Jesus says. He says, it says, Jesus told him, you have said it. 
If you look at another translation or two, Jesus is even more clear to say, Judas, you are the one who will betray me. Jesus said, you have said it. So, so this, this, is, this is amazing. Can you imagine how the atmosphere of the room would have changed as they're all kind of hearing what Jesus is saying and as they're all asking him, Lord, 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 am I the one? And then finally, Judas says, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus says, you are the one. How many of you have a, an aunt, an uncle, or a family member who has no filter around the dinner table at Thanksgiving, right? How many of you are that person? Come on, elbow your spouse if they're that person. If you don't have that family member, there's at least a chance you are that person. And it depends on kind of the topic at hand on whether or not you wish that they were there. Sometimes you're glad that that person is there so that they'll finally say the thing that's been needed to be said for the last few family gatherings, but no one has had the courage to say it, right? Other times you're kind of on pins and needles saying, I hope they don't go there today, you know? But here's the point is, Jesus really, in a lot of ways, had no filter. You think about it. He said to the Pharisees, he said, you, you, you brood of vipers. To Peter, he said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you whitewashed tombs. And right here, he's, he's saying, one of you is gonna betray me. And he, said, and he says, right to Judas in the middle of all, you're the one. But watch what the Bible says. It says, you have said it. So what did Judas say that caused Jesus to call Judas out on the carpet as the one who was gonna betray him. I think the Bible actually shows us right here. For years, I read this and I never saw this. But watch, watch, watch. Let's go back and let's kind of revisit a little bit. The 11, each one asked in turn, am I the one Lord? When it got to Judas, he said, am I the one rabbi? Two different words. In the Greek, Lord is the word kyrie, and it means master, ruler, Lord of all. And the word rabbi means good teacher. And here's the point that I'm trying to make today. How we see Jesus affects what we experience in the kingdom of God on this side of eternity. And there are plenty of people who enjoy a good sermon or an inspirational worship service. But there are fewer people who will take what is spoken over their life and apply it to their life in the posture of making Jesus the Lord over every area of their life. And how many times do we hear a good teaching, a good sermon, a good message, we get the goosebumps, the worship was awesome, and we go right out these doors, right back to the same old life, the same old places, the same old mindsets, the same old patterns, because we appreciate Jesus as a good teacher. but I don't know about this Lord thing. And Jesus doesn't want to be an accessory to your life. He wants to be the Lord of all. And when that happens, that's when things begin to change. When that happens, when we go beyond saying, I appreciate Jesus, I appreciate that he's got, he brings a, a good message of morality, I appreciate, I see some things that, 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 that our culture needs to maybe apprehend again. When we go beyond appreciating Jesus on that level to making him the Lord of our life, that's when everything changes. Who do you say that Jesus is to you? Who is he to you? And that's the question that Jesus is asking. And in a world full of opinions, Thankfully, there was a man who was willing to stand up and go against the cultural tide, and his name was Peter. And it says in verse 16, as we go back and read in Matthew chapter 26, it says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You haven't allowed the opinions and the thoughts and the preferences and the definitions and the determinations of the culture of this world to affect how you see who I am in your life. He says, my father in heaven revealed this to you. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what I believe? I believe that the rock was not the person because if you know anything about Peter, if you read your New Testament, you understand that he was anything but a rock. He was up one day, he was down the next. He was all in one day and he was denying Jesus to a schoolgirl and using profanity as a way to underline and emphasize, I am not the one you say I, you think I am. I have not been with him. Peter was anything but a rock. The rock was the revelation of who Jesus really was and is today to you and me. He's more than just a good religious figure. He's more than just a good man who did some good things. He's more than just someone who came and kind of modeled behavior modification so we can have a little bit better morality in our mess. He, he is the Lord of all. He's the Savior, the Messiah, the one who came to rescue and redeem mankind back out of our sin into a relationship with God. That's who he is. Who do you, who do you say that he is to you? On this rock, I will build my church. In the study of scripture, there's a principle in hermeneutics called the law of first mention. And it implies this, that, that it's helpful to go back to the place where the Bible first references or mentions a principle or a topic and just give a little added emphasis to what God said when he first introduced something. Everything that scripture has to say about everything is all in error and all breathed by the Holy Spirit and all from the heart of God. But this principle of how to kind of study scripture calls for us to go back to the, to the law first mentioned says, go back to the place where God introduces something through the word and watch what he's establishing as the trajectory of that thought or that heart of God related to that matter. So Jesus modeled this for us when in Matthew 19, remember they came around him and they began to question Jesus about marriage and divorce. And Jesus modeled the, 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 the principle behind the law of first mention when he goes back to Genesis one and two to give the answer. And obviously Genesis has a lot of laws of first mention. A lot of first mentions occur in the book of Genesis, but they're, they're kind of cornering Jesus about the topic of marriage. He says, I'm, not, I'm gonna go back to what God originally said about this because it established God's heart for it. And here's what he said. He quoted from the book of Genesis chapter one and two, and he said, haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. Don't try to cancel me, I'm sorry, that's not a popular cultural opinion, but it's the truth from God's word. And he said in verse five, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one. What God has joined together, let no one separate. So, so that's Jesus kind of modeling the importance or this kind of principle of the law of first mention. So why is that important to this passage in the book of Matthew? Because this is the first mention of the word church. Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. And he, he realizes he's introducing something that's going to be powerfully significant to our lives of faith and to his plans and purposes in the earth. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. And it's the first time he's introduced this concept. And the word translated to church is the Greek word ecclesia. And ecclesia, if you break it down, is actually comprised of two Greek words, ek, which means out from and to, 
and kaleo, which means to call. So he says, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia. He says, I will build my group of people who are called out of an old life of sin and are being called to a new life in Christ. And the context, not the meaning of the word is important, but the context of the word is also important, sometimes even more important. And the context of the word ecclesia was, was this. It was a group of people rallied together for a sense of strategic purpose. There was nothing casual about Ecclesia. Ecclesia was an intentional gathering together, somewhat of a call to arms or action. And that's the word that we translate to church. And God said, he, Jesus says, I'll build my Ecclesia and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Called together for a strategic sense of purpose. He says, I'm building my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Did you catch that? The gates of hell is what it says. What do we know about gates? Well, I know one thing. I've never seen gates chasing people down. Gates are static. Gates are, 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 are positioned in a place to try to keep people from accessing something or to keep people behind or held back or hindered and captured into something. And he says, I'm building my church. And remember the law first mentioned I think there's, there, there's, a, there's an invitation to kind of see God, Jesus knows I'm introducing a concept right here that's gonna be powerfully important to our lives and to his plans and purposes in the earth. And there's a lot of things he could have said following I'm gonna build my church. What he decided to say was I'm building my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, so what's he saying? Here's what he's saying. He's saying right from the start, my church, the ecclesia, those called out of a life of sin, called together, unified, rallied for a sense of strategic unity and purpose. My church is intended to be a forward-moving, devil-stomping, hell-defeating force for good. And anywhere we're in our community, in our hearts, in our minds, in our schools, in our nation, where the gates of hell, which represents anything that's keeping people held captive, held back, or hindered from living in the freedom Jesus made possible for us at the cross, it says anything that fits in that category will not be able to stand against who? The ecclesia, the church of God. Jesus did not come and live and die and rise again to establish another social club or a civic organization. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a, there's a social nature to, we're family. There's family, there's friendship. I believe the things that we do together as a church family, there should be some fun, there should be some excitement, and we should make a difference, obviously, in our community in a civic sense. But Jesus came and built his ecclesia to be a forward-moving, actively uh, uh, advancing force for good, bringing down any place where the gates of hell are hindering people from living in the fullness of Jesus' freedom. He didn't come to build a social club or a civic organization. He came to build and establish the church, you and I, and he empowered us and called us to change the world around us. And we see it as you read on the very next verse. On this rock, I'll build my ecclesia, my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And watch what he says, because he knows you can't do this in your own strength. He says, I will give you, not, not just preachers, elders, Sunday school teachers, you and I, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever, someone say whatever. You bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He said, I'm giving you the authority. 
He says, I'm coming and what I'm doing is I am restoring back to you what was lost in the Garden of Eden. Where in the book of Genesis, the Bible says, speaking of God, speaking of first mention and God's heart for us as his people, watch what God spoke over Adam and Eve. God blessed them, it says, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue the earth, have dominion. And Adam and Eve abdicated their authority and their dominion when they chose sin. Don't blame them. I would have blown it for us if, if no one had done it yet. And you know it's true. But Jesus says, I'm coming back and through the cross, what was lost through Adam, the Bible says how much more is gained back through Jesus. And he said, what was abdicated and laid down, this sense of power and authority, this call, this mandate, this command to, to, to take dominion, he said, I'm restoring it through the cross of Jesus Christ. And this message, speaking of restoration, needs to be restored to the church. The church that Jesus came to build, and, 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 and hear me, hear me, we're gonna have fun, we're gonna have family, we're gonna have friends, we're gonna do fellowship, we're gonna do fun activities, we're gonna take trips, we're gonna go on retreats, we're gonna do all the stuff that we could do to enjoy our life of faith. But when Jesus said, I'm building my church, he established it plainly and clearly to be understood that we are intended to fight and win spiritual battles and set captives free to fight and win the spiritual battles that the enemy is introducing over your own heart, over your own mind, over your own marriage, over your family, over the children that you're endeavoring to raise in a culture that is increasingly causing them to be led astray from knowing and living for and serving God. He says, I'm empowering you with the authority to win, to fight and win spiritual battles. That's the heart behind the establishment of the ecclesia, which is you and I, the church. But unfortunately, we've drifted from this message. We've drifted from this message. He says, I'm building my church to tear down the gates of hell. And unfortunately, much of the modern day church in the West has been built more to accommodate spaghetti suppers and bingo nights. Nothing wrong with those things, by the way. Pastor Eddie, can we schedule a good spaghetti supper sometime soon? I mean, I, I mean come on. If, if there's some carbs there, I'll show up. You know, I mean, I was saying it's of the Lord. but we need to restore the message to the church that God built us, established us, ordained us, called us out of our old life and organized us, formed us to be the army of God any place, any way where there is bondage, there is darkness, there are hindrances, there are gates that are holding people back from living the fullness of, of faith and freedom in Jesus Christ. We have been endued with the power of heaven to go and take down those gates. Where there's racism, we're gonna take them down. Where there's human traffic, we're gonna go and take it down. Where there are young men and women who are over in the Kansas Juvenile Correctional Complex who made some mistakes who, because they're a product of their environment and they've been told that their life doesn't matter and they'll never amount to anything. We're going to go into that place and we're going to remind them. We're going to tell them that there's a God who forgives. There's a God who loves. There's a God who created them on purpose for a purpose. And we're going to go over there and we're going to tear that gate of hell down in that place. And it's what we're up to. And if you have a heart to be a part of that, we need more people to come alongside Pastor Eddie and begin to go over there every couple weeks to speak over the lives of those young people. He says, that's what I've created my church to accomplish. And especially in today's culture, this message needs to be restored. And again, unfortunately, what we see is the church drifting from biblical truth, the church drifting from courage and conviction to speak that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And more and more and more, we need to be the church, the place that God has built to fight and win spiritual battles, the place that God has built and established to be a place of refuge for those who are lost and hurting and wounded. The Bible says that God places the lonely in families. 
And God builds things to preserve people who will, in the midst of cultural chaos and, and decay, turn their hearts towards him and put their trust in him. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, remember what God did in a time of cultural chaos and decay that I think kind of rivals what we're going through right now in our culture? And that day in the life of Noah, what did God build? He built an ark and he preserved his people. And today, what did Jesus say he's building? His church. And he's saying, there's a flood. There's a flood that's coming. There's a flood that's here. And it was physical raindrops like had never been seen before, literally never been seen before in the days of Noah and today. There's some things that we're experiencing in our culture that have never been seen before. Who, who would have known or ever could have thought, thought or even imagined some of the things that we're up against and especially the next generation is going to be up against. And it's why restoring this message about the significance and the power and the authority of the local church is so vitally important because in cult times of cultural chaos and despair, God always builds something to preserve his people. In the days of Noah, he built an ark and today he is building what? His church. The church is not a building. First Peter 2, five says that God is building a spiritual house and it is built of living stones. That's you, and that's me. And he's calling us together. He's calling us together. One, one, one stone laying in the, in the road is a, is, a, is a hazard, it's a tripping point, but when you begin to take stones and you begin to bring them together and you begin to stack them together and you begin to form something, something begins to take shape that begins to testify. I love that, he, I, I love that Jesus didn't say bricks, he said stones, I'm building it of stones. People, stones of all different shapes and hues and tones and backgrounds, stones that have been mined out of different places in the earth, all coming together and being built together as a testament of God's goodness and grace and his desire to bring people from all different backgrounds, nations, tribes, and tongues together to be built up as a spiritual house, which is his ecclesia, his church. And you were called to be a part of this. You were called to be a part of this. L listen, I understand something. This is powerfully true. Romans 10, nine says that we personally must believe in our heart and confess with our mouth and you enter into faith in, in, in Christ. You come back to a relationship with God through a personal relationship, a personal decision to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. No one else can do it for you. But after we experience God through a personal relationship with him, many of the things that we are called to experience are expressed in the context of community. And, and there's, there's a, I, I could preach a whole message on, just, on these scriptures, but I just pulled a few to underline that point. Again, what, what I'm underlining is this. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus, but after you experience God through a personal relationship, much of what God is going to call you to and much of what he desires to deliver to you, his blessings, his provision are expressed through the context of community. Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. Obviously, God's with you individually, but there's an added emphasis on the way that God shows up on the scene when we gather together in agreement and unity and fellowship. When the disciples sought instruction on how to pray, which we tend to think of as a personal exercise to prevent my needs, my cares, my concerns. Have you ever noticed how Jesus instructed them? Our Father, who art in heaven, Give us this day, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. The entire prayer calls us to be concerned beyond ourselves because you were called to community. 
We're called together. We're the ecclesia. We're, the, we're those called out of our old life and called together, unified, rallied, called to arms for a sense of strategic purpose. In Acts chapter two, the believers who had been scattered in fear were now unified, gathered, the Bible says, in one accord. And when the day of Pentecost came, watch what it says, they were all together. Suddenly the sound of a blowing like a violent wind came to the house where they were sitting, they saw. And it goes on to say that they received and they began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave utterance. Even when speaking of the spiritual gifts that God gives us individually, and did you know that there's a unique gift? You are a spiritual stone that God's intending to build and to add to what he's building as a spiritual house, which is his ecclesia, his church. There's a unique gifting, calling, anointing, grace, testimony that God has placed in your life. But even speaking of that, watch what the Bible has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven. Now to each one individually, speaking individually, the manifestation of the spirit is given, but why? For the common good. Even the testimonies, the grace, the gift, the anointing, the spiritual gifts that God has put in your life individually are all intended to be brought together, surrendered, and submitted to the greater good of what God is doing through his church. 1 Corinthians 12, if we read on, if you jump down rather to verse 12, it says, just as one body or a body rather, though one has many parts and all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And God has put each part, someone say each part, just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Come on, it would be a freak show, right? Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I do not need you. The head should not say to the feet, I do not need you. In fact, catch this, some parts of the body that seem weakest or least important are actually the most necessary. And the compelling truth is this, we are called together on purpose for a purpose. You were never intended to do life in Christ alone, there are no lone rangers in the body of Christ because we are better together. And I want you guys to get ready to watch this video. This is, these are just a few. This is a highlight video of just a few of the ways that God moved in and through us as we unified and gathered together as the ecclesia, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a few of the ways and the highlights of what God did last year because we gathered together. What you're about to see no individual could do in their own strength, even with their best determination and effort. But because we recognize that we realize we're the ecclesia called together for an express purpose, a strategic purpose, just take a look at just a few of the things that God did in and through us. I hope it inspires you. of God's hand of faithfulness on this church family. That is something to celebrate. Did you know that God really called the people throughout the Bible to take time, to make moments, to commemorate the times where God would move in their life, to set aside specific days and times and seasons and festivals to remember what God had done in their lives. Life is full of unexpected twists and turns, but it doesn't mean that God still can't fulfill a purpose in you. I'm gonna teach you how to serve not the God that you want, but the God that is. 
And the God that is, sometimes you don't fully understand. But if you trust me, he says, I'll get you through everything that comes your way. Places in your life, in your health, in your finances, in your marriage where the enemy has stolen those hopes, that future, that this is a year of restoration. So if 2022 has some blessings waiting, some good things, some breakthroughs, praise God. If it has some storms, some challenges, some additional things that are coming, praise God because he's going to be with you through the midst of it all. Somebody say amen.
come on, someone give the Lord some praise. Because he gets all the glory for all of that. He's the only one. He gets all the glory. But listen, I, I, I know this might kind of challenge us. Those things don't happen if we don't show up, if we don't serve, if we don't give. And I know God can do anything that he wants, but his chosen vehicle, his model, his pattern, what he predetermined was I'm going to call a people out of their old life and call them together to be the force for, the king, for kingdom good and go and tear down the gates of hell anywhere they exist. That's you and that's I. And what's, what's happened, I'm grateful for, but I believe as we continue to unify, welcome others to become a part of the ecclesia that's known as Rev City Church, as this, of this church family, and we continue to keep our, our eyes on Jesus and continue to preach the gospel, and we continue to unify and rally around one another, I firmly believe it with all my heart, the best is yet to come. But here's what I also understand, is that anywhere where there's power, promise, and potential, you might know what's coming, you might, might as well expect opposition. And it, so if the church is clearly defined as the, the active entity responsible for tearing down the gates of hell, don't you think that Satan would levy some strategic strategies to try to hinder us and hold us back? And, and, and here's what you see, here's what I see all the time. Because that's true, there are specific assignments to divide us, discourage us, or to cause us, for one reason or the other, to become disillusioned with the local church. And, and let me be clear about something. There are legitimate examples where churches and church leaders have unfortunately caused pain to people and damage to the reputation of the body of Christ. There are legitimate examples of that. Through spiritual or emotional abuse, financial mismanagement, moral failures, just a few ways. But I also wanna say this, that the overwhelming majority of churches are sincerely looking to preach Jesus and reach people to make disciples and connect people to the body of Christ. And I wanna make another statement, and that's this, that by far, the church collectively, since Jesus spoke those words and went to the cross and came to life and, and birthed the church in the book of Acts, since that moment, the by far, the church collectively has done more around the world to impact hunger, disaster relief, to bring orphans into families, to establish opportunities for healthcare by establishing hospitals and going to places where people couldn't access healthcare, by, by offering assistance to refugees and helping people escape and flee. The church has done by far more in all those areas and, and then some than any other entity in the world today. So there are legitimate issues, but we cannot allow the occasional error or sin of individuals or organizations to cause us to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and while there are legitimate issues, here's what I also have seen to be true over the years. And you just got to hear my heart on this, all right? And there's, there's a lot at stake with this. So wherever you land in this, just allow the Lord to, to, to speak to you individually. But here's what I've also seen over the years. While there are legitimate causes and, and reasons, things that the church needs to do better, take responsibility for, there are also times where people simply get their feathers ruffled because they do not agree with the decision or a direction. They do not accept or are or, or willing to embrace the position that they've been asked to serve in in that season or they don't appreciate a directive that's been given into their life. And, and I wanna make a statement that I understand is kind of bold, it's kind of strong, but I, I believe that it's, it's true. And I've seen it over the years where people have kind of fled church relationship because again, they don't agree with the decision or a direction or a directive given to them individually. 
People get, get, get upset because we're challenging them to serve or we're challenging them to give or we're challenging them to grow or we're challenging them to repent or we're challenging them to begin to take steps of faith. And here's the, here's the statement that I wanna make. Accountability is not church hurt. It's the responsibility that we have as a church to call believers, men and women and young people to a life of repentance and change and, and transformation and beginning to take these steps. And so, but the enemy comes in and he always, he's always looking to try to introduce hurt or pain, discouragement, division, or disillusionment. And here's what I wanna say, and this is, the, this is the truth, because again, there are legitimate reasons and there are some places where we just kind of take our ball and go home for reasons that really don't add up biblically to reasons that we should break fellowship. But let's listen to this. Just as with any issue of relationship where sin has caused pain or division, there is the responding reality. God is fully able and he desires to bring healing, forgiveness, and restoration. I wanna use the illustration. I gotta be quick, but I wanna use this illustration to help underline this. Let's say that there was a, a young boy who was born with a debilitating and deteriorating muscular condition that did not allow him. He was bedridden. He, there, was no, there was no certainty about whether this boy would ever even walk, let alone run or, or play on the playground or ride a bike like all young boys love and enjoy doing. And, and this young boy was miraculously healed. No medical professional or treatment could really take full credit for it. So he began to learn how to walk and he began to learn how to run and one of the things that he began to enjoy in perhaps a greater way than the other kids in the community in the neighborhood, because they took it for granted to walk and run and ride their bike, but this young boy did not take it for granted. He realized that he had been hindered by this condition. Let's call that condition sin. And he realized that he had been healed of this condition and now he was fully embracing. There was an extra sense of awe and appreciation and the, of the freedom that he was experiencing as he was running and especially as he was riding his bike, the wind blowing in his hair. And one day there was a bully as he was riding his bike through his community, a bully hiding in the bushes who threw a stick out into the pathway and it caused this young boy to take a tumble and he was, he was harmed, he was hurt, he was injured. And if that was true, and that boy came home and you were the one who was assigned to be his parent or his guardian, and that young boy came home and he said, I don't think I'll ever be able to get back on the bike again, how many of us would allow that child to stay in that condition? Even if it took a process of time, even if it took coming alongside, even if it took putting some training wheels back on the bike, even if it took us kind of going with a steady hand to help them to get back on that bike and keep riding, come on, what kind of parent would we be if we allowed an unfortunate instance that introduced injury or harm or pain because of a bully hiding in the bushes? What kind of parent would we be if we allowed that, that young boy to stay off of that bike? Come on, you gotta get back up. You gotta get back on. You gotta keep going. You gotta keep moving forward. That's the heart of God towards you and I. When we experience unfortunate, unforeseen, unexpected things that happen in relationships, it happens in relationships all over the place. And, and that's what the church is. It's, it's, it's relationships. And so if you find yourself isolated, injured, hurt, wounded, know that God desires to bring healing so that you can reconnect, get off the sidelines, get back engaged, get back on that bike and ride in the freedom that God has healed you to be able to experience. In 2 Samuel 17, we'll close here in a moment. There's, this is a passage that um, unpacks practical advice that was given to Absalom as he was endeavoring to overthrow David's kingdom. 
So this is a practical, this is literal practical advice that, that was given to Absalom. And here's what it represents to you and I, a spiritual strategy that the enemy now uses against us to keep us from moving forward in our lives of faith. And here's what it says. It says, furthermore, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men and let, him, let me set out and pursue David tonight. And I will attack him while he is weary and exhausted and startle him so that the people with him will flee. Then I will strike and kill the king when he is alone. He says, let me choose 12,000 men. And in and, and, and the culture of the day, the enemy of your soul will cause you to be so, so consumed or overwhelmed with the cares or the burdens or the busyness or the distractions of life that we begin to fail to prioritize our relationship with God and our call to be a part of the fellowship in the body of Christ. And it says, I'll startle him, which represents fear. And some of you may be just afraid of stepping out once again and opening your heart up. Some of you are afraid of what it's gonna feel like or look like when you step back in to serve in the local church or begin to give or begin to love or begin to connect with other believers. And, then, and the last thing that it says is I would strike him when he is alone. And this is the plan that the enemy is, is, is always after because if he can get you isolated, we talked about it last week, right? Satan goes around like what a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and lions will always attack the one that gets cut off from the herd. He's looking to isolate us, disconnect us, divide us, cause discouragement, bring disillusionment because he understands what's at stake. A unified, organized, faith-filled church that is focused on the gospel mission, walking in the authority, willing to give our lives away, willing to show up and serve, which is what today is all about, Serve Team Sunday. It's, we're just teeing up opportunities for every one of you to find a place that you could come and begin to be a part of what God's doing. He realizes that that church, not the ones that are gathered as a social club, or he realizes that that church is a threat to the gates that he's been building in our culture, in the lives and the hearts of people in our community. So he's coming after it. But today the heart of God is this, that there's a blessing when we begin to understand that, that God's called us to this. He's called us to this. This is what we are. We are the church. We are the ecclesia of, of, of God. And to understand that, 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 that part of what that's gonna call us to is, is walking in grace for one another, walking in forgiveness in one another, expressing that many of the fruits of the Holy Spirit can only be expressed in the context of relationship. But he's calling us to this. And, 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 and here's what Psalm 92, 13 says, those who are planted in the house of God shall flourish. They shall, bear, they shall, shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Come on, that sounds like a pretty good promise, right? To those who are planted. Planted involves commitment. And unfortunately, in, in our culture of our day, people church shop and church hop, which is the antithesis of being planted. To be planted calls us to, be, to go beyond to begin to serve, to begin to give, to begin to love, to begin to forgive, and to understand that there's gonna be times where we need to be forgiven. There are no perfect churches, no perfect pastors, no per perfect parishioners. I've heard it said jokingly, tongue in cheek, if you find the perfect church, you better keep moving because you'll mess it up. But I wanna encourage you with these truths. I gotta move quickly, but I wanna encourage you with these truths. I was sharing these things in our new member lunch last week, and I was like, oh, this is good, this is helpful. And this, this is not a comprehensive list. There's some other things I'm sure we could add to this list. And, and as I share this list, these are just things that we're endeavoring to be at Rev City, okay? But here's what I wanna encourage you with, because if we're called to be planted in the church, in the house of God, and, and there's so much at stake, I believe we ought to have wisdom about where we plan ourselves. So here's some things that you, I believe, I would, here, let me say it this way, I would look for these things if I was looking for a church for myself and my family. Number one is healthy church government that provides accountability. 
which we have here an elder group that I meet with twice a month and we look at finances and I submit the vision and I'm surrendered and submitted to them as our pastor. Number two, strong financial management and accountability. We've hired a CPA, we're blessed to have a certified public accountant on our staff that handles the books, oversees those things, brings the reports to our eldership. Number three, a church that unapologetically preaches the Bible and upholds it as the standard of truth. Number four, a church that operates in the balance of the spirit and, and truth, where the word of God is honored and preached, but the present day empowerment of the Holy Spirit for every believer is fully embraced. Number five, an atmosphere of grace and growth, where we preach grace, we preach grace, not legalism, not performance, we preach grace, but we preach the kind of grace that compels us to wanna to grow and look more and more like Christ. Number six, the commitment to reach and raise. That speaks of evangelism and discipleship, both of those things priorities. Number seven, multi-generational and multi-ethnic by intention and by prayerful pursuit. And if you look around this church, you can see that God is doing a young and old, black and white and every shade in between, praise God. Number eight, examples of long-term faithfulness within the church. Generally speaking, not a revolving door of people, staff, or leaders. And we've been here for eight years now, but that's a short time compared to what I began to experience and discover when I came into this church. I began to ask people, how long have you been here? And, I, and people would say 24 years, 32 years, 38 years. Some had been here at that time, 42 years. Many people, not just a handful. And you know why that's important? Because that directly implies that this church, we're, we can't take credit for it, God gets the glory, but we have a responsibility to play. If you're gonna be, not just, not for 42 years, if you're gonna be in a church for two years, you've gotta be committed to keep the gospel as the center focus above our own preferences, opinions, or ideas. Because I'm, I'm promised you, at 42 years, I promise you, you would have a chance to get offended and leave. But there's this commitment to say, but God, we realize what we're about what we're called to, what we're gathered together to accomplish is more important than our own preferences or opinions. And so we're gonna model what it looks like. And that's the other thing that that does. People who have long-term track record of committed relationships is it models faithfulness to the next generation. Number nine, last thing, honor and gratitude for the past like we did today, just looking back, appreciating what God's done, but a big vision for the future. Do not limit what God can do through you and through us. As long as there are people who need Jesus in Lawrence, Kansas and all around the world, we're gonna pursue them, reaching out to them, preaching the gospel and telling them there's a God who loves them and wants to bring them in relationship with him. Would you stand to your feet this morning or this afternoon now? And as you're standing, allow me to read just a couple more scriptures over you. Hebrews 10, 25 says, do not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now, it says, especially now, that the day of his return is drawing near. In other words, here's what it says, in this day and hour, it says, especially now, in this day and hour, as the day of the Lord gets nearer and nearer, it's gonna be more important for people to be strongly connected to the local church, to the body of Christ. Because as, the, as things get darker, as, as, de, as delusion and deception and lies and darkness are increasingly introduced, it's gonna be more important to you and to me and especially to that next generation to get into the thing that God is building to preserve his people in times of cultural decay. Once it was the ark, today it's the church. And so Lord, we just, we thank you that you've, you've got one body, but there are many parts and every part is important. One part can't say to the other, I don't need you. In fact, the parts that might seem less important are actually the ones that are vital. And I thank you for that today, God. You've called us together as a community of faith 
You've established the church of Jesus Christ to be a force for kingdom good, tearing down the walls and gates of darkness in hearts and minds and in our community. And Lord, I just lift up every precious person in this room and those who are connected to this church fellowship online. Lord, I pray for anyone who's experienced the reality of discouragement or division or disillusionment. And Lord, we pray that today you would, that you would bring because of the significance of what we are called to do collectively and because of the unique, important, significant role that you have individually to, the, to those purposes, to that end. That God, today, would you bring healing? Would you bring a grace to forgive? Would you bring faith to get up and get back on the bike and begin riding once again? And Lord, would you grace us? Would you help us? Lord, we, we realize that what you've called us to do is gonna require us to be desperately dependent upon you. Help us to have grace for one another for our faults. Help us to have forgiveness for one another. Help us, Lord, to appreciate one another's strengths. Lord, help us to put the gospel message of Jesus Christ ahead of every other thing that churches can tend to prioritize or begin to focus upon. Lord, Jesus preached, crucified, and resurrected. And we just thank you for that today, Lord, your healing, your strength. As you stay in that posture of receiving, lastly, I wanna give you the opportunity to, to say yes to Jesus. If you need to be forgiven, if you need a new start, a fresh lease on life right now, today, this is your moment. You don't get God, you don't get good, rather, to get God. It's a free gift. And today, if you just receive Christ, if you do what I talked about earlier, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be born again, you'll be saved. All the old things passed away, you'll become a new creation. Or maybe you're here today and you've just drifted from God. You're, you're a prodigal son, prodigal daughter. And, and if, if, you, if that's you or anywhere in between today, this is your moment. And the arms of the Father are open wide, welcoming and waiting to receive you into a relationship with Him. Again, that you can't earn, you can't deserve, even on your best day. If that's you right now, be bold. Would you be bold enough to just lift your hand right now and say, that's me, I need to be forgiven. That's me, I need to come home, back into a relationship with my Heavenly Father. Just an outward, a simple outward step or sign rather of an inward work that God's doing in your heart right now. In this room and online, I think it's powerfully important that you would just raise your hand towards heaven and say, that's me. I need to be forgiven. I need to come home. And if that's you today, would, would you, if you raise your hand, rather you could lower it. And here's what we're gonna do. Let's pray this prayer with those people who said yes to Jesus today, just to show them that there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are gonna come alongside them right from the start, right from the start, to support them and encourage them in their new life in, in Christ. Come on, repeat this after me. Come on, let's pray it boldly with maybe a fresh revelation of who we are, the body of Christ, the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Repeat this after me, say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price that I could never pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. I give you my life, I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, come on, say this part loudly, I'll never be the same. And then come on, can we rejoice with all of heaven? Come on, rejoice with all of heaven. Hey, I know I went a little long today. Thanks for being, being patient. Thanks for being patient. And let's worship God one more time together though, and then we'll come and we'll dismiss you, get you about your day.